If you would, just uh, join me in a word of prayer. We're going to pray and ask God to speak to us from his word this morning. And just a few words about that. You know, God's word is in a magnificent book. It's a spiritual book. And so many people try to approach this book in an intellectual manner. And that's okay. It's just that you're not going to get from it what God has intended for you to get from it. So as we go into the word today, what I do on a regular basis is I ask God's spirit to come and interpret this book, to highlight things in this book that uh, we need to see. Because apart from the Spirit of God teaching us and guiding us in the Word, it really uh, doesn't do what it's intended to do. So let's pray together and invite the Lord to come and have His way with us this morning. So Lord, I just thank you for this time uh, as the church reconvenes. I thank you, God, that we are able to come and to uh, see one another and to love one another and uh, and I pray for those, God, that are not in the church yet. And I, I just pray for them, God, that you would let them know when it's the right time for them to return. But, God, I do pray that they would return and that they would return soon. And, Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would guide us and illuminate us, teach us, God. Um, let us eat from your word. Let us glean from your word so that it can produce in us what you intend for it to do. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been in a series called What's Next for the last few weeks. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a question a lot of people are asking because, good grief, 2020 just seems to be the year that uh, keeps on giving, you know. Just this past week, um, just an earth, a huge earthquake in North Carolina, 5.1 magnitude, biggest earthquake they've had there in over 100 years. And just another thing happened just this past week. A, a thousand people evacuated homes in Colorado because of wildfires. It seems like every week there's some new, uh, you know, catastrophe uh, that's hitting some part of the country or some part of the world. And so you just look at 2020 and you say, well, what's next? And I can't predict what's next uh, coming on the world. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying to do that, but I, I think that's futile. Uh, what, I, what I can tell you is my focus has been what's next in this church, what's next in our spiritual walk with God. As we try to re-enter uh, into life after this prolonged pandemic that's been going on for just months, uh, a lot longer than any of us thought it would go on, uh, you know, I just think there's a, it's a good question. What's next for us? How are we going to get back into life? And so the last few weeks I've been preaching some sermons on this, and uh, the first one I talked about was just when we come back together, we need to really keep in mind that we believe God for the impossible. He, we have faith for the impossible. I based it out of Ezekiel, where, uh, Ezekiel 37, where the dry bones are. And, and God told Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Do you believe these bones can live? And Ezekiel prophesied to those bones, and those dead bones came back to life, which was an impossibility. But it, it was a prophetic picture of when things seem dead or things seem so negative that God has the authority and the power to bring them back. But he always uses us uh, in his plans. The next sermon I preached was about there's no plan B with God. We go through something that's difficult, and sometimes when it's really prolonged or it's tragic or it's traumatic, uh, we suddenly think, oh, well, plan A is gone. Now I'm into plan B of my life. Let me just tell you that there's no plan B for your life. God created you for a purpose, and no matter what you go through or how far you stray or how uh, traumatic things have been for you, I just want to say God's plan for you has never changed. It's, a, it's an encouraging word. He doesn't give up on us, and we shouldn't give up on ourselves. 
And then the last sermon I preached about this was called Living with Risk. You know, coming back into this world, you know, it's, it's risky. And right now, you know, we have this COVID. It just doesn't seem to be going away, uh, even though it's, it's kind of flattening out in our area anyway, and in, in our Amarillo area. We don't see the numbers spiking like they were back in uh, June. But the deal is it's not going away. We, we come back into church. We're still cautious. We're wearing masks and different things like that. But th- there's a risk coming back. And the sermon premise when I preached it was, but there's always been risk. There's always risk. We just see this one because it's been put before our face for the last several months. And I think it's put us into a position where we're kind of afraid to take the risk to get back into life. And my encouragement to you is when God puts it in your heart that you are ready to enter back into life and enter back into doing what you do, um, have faith because you've always lived in risk. Uh, It's far more risky to drive uh, to, to church than it is to even be in church. I mean, that's just statistically proven. So I just want you to hear those words. And if you haven't heard those words, I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. But today, we're talking about what's next, and I'm going to be talking about finding hope. Uh, hope is such an important, important uh, thing that we are to live in every day. As I uh, said a few months ago, there, I have observed a dark spiritual digression uh, that is associated with this prolonged pandemic It began back, for us, it began back in March, really, and we first began to not meet as a church, and there was just a lot of uh, spiritual dynamics going on uh, behind the scenes of the pandemic, and I could feel them, and I began to see them, and I've talked about this a few times, but I see it even unfolding further as we go along. Uh, When this thing first started, there was just a spirit of denial everywhere. Nobody thought it was real. Everybody thought it would stay in China. This isn't going to affect us. And that just wasn't right. So when it hit here, uh, there was this panic. That was the second thing, just a, a spiritual release of panic and fear in the earth. You see that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, the devil. That's what it says in First John. And it's because we're under the sway of it. There's There's dark spiritual forces at work in our world. And that there's these times whenever uh, those dark spiritual forces are given more liberty to be released in the earth. I don't understand that, but that's true from Scripture, and it's true from what I've seen in, in my time of walking with the Lord. And right now, I believe that at this pandic- pandemic, because it's prolonged, has given great opportunity and liberty for the dark forces to be released in our world, and they affect the whole world, not just Christians, but the whole world. And that one about denial, and then it was... And then it was um, panic and fear. And the third one was it came and it was blame and accusation. You could clearly see that people started blaming. Someone has to be to blame for all this pain that we're going through, all this economic hardship we're going through. You know, we wanted to blame somebody and all these accusations came out. All these conspiracy theories came out and the church was right in the middle of them. And it really discouraged me because it's a spirit. It's a dark spirit that wants to draw us in to 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 making false accusations against our brother. I don't know if you've thought about this, but one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not, you know, falsely accuse your brethren. And whenever we step into conspiracy theories that are not confirmed and, and we begin to blame people or throw accusations, we actually are being drawn into darkness by the evil one trying to get us to break one of God's sacred commandments. 
The fourth one that happened is you just saw it break out a few months ago is anger. The, the whole country, the whole world is just like angry, angry. There's such a spirit of anger released. And of course, when anger is not controlled, it, it turns into violence. And that's what we've seen in our own country. Many of our major cities are just erupting in violence. And, and people will say, well, it's not related to the pandemic. It absolutely is related to the pandemic. I realize racial tension has been, uh, you know, a blown, you know, rekindled in our country. It's always been there. But I can tell you, it's been made worse by this prolonged pandemic. These dark forces take advantage of bad situations and they make it worse. They'll do that in the world and they'll do it in your personal life. But the one I want to talk about today is the sixth one. And I see it just coming on the scene now is there seems to be a spirit of hopelessness just being released in the world. Hopelessness. Because this thing drags on and because there's so much negative news and every time you turn on the TV, you're seeing pictures of violence and, and anarchy everywhere and you know, it's just bad news after bad news. And the stress of this pandemic has caused so many problems in our country to just be made worse. It's, it, it's, when you look at it and you focus on it, it does, it makes you kind of hopeless. You're hopeless about the future. You look at the economic forecast, it's, it seems a little hopeless. You look at the political forecast, it seems a little hopeless. You look at a lot of different things and it doesn't seem real hopeful. But I'm here today to tell you that hope is a very important element for us to have. God has created us in a certain way. He's created us in a way that we have to have hope to live in this world. What is hope? The, dic the dictionary definition of hope is to anticipate life with pleasure. I love that. To anticipate your life with pleasure. But my definition is you have to have something positive to look forward to. God's created us that way. And, and because we're made in God's image, I'm assuming that God, he has a tremendous amount of hope also. And so God looks at the world and he has hope. He doesn't have despair. He has hope because his son came and took so much of the problems on himself so that we could have hope in the world that we live in today. God made it that way. He wants us to never give up hope. Because I'll tell you this, if you find yourself in a hopeless situation, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you have a temptation to give up. Because people without hope, they give up. Many people will do themselves harm because they just don't feel hopeful. Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is a tremendous spiritual truth. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that there's three things that are going to last forever, three things that are going to go into heaven with us, and they are faith, hope, and love. We hear a lot about faith, and we hear a lot about love, but we don't hear a lot about hope. And God is saying hope is of equal importance to faith and love. He's saying here that when you don't have hope, it makes your heart sick. This is a, I'm not a literalist in Scripture, but I can tell you this is one verse that I feel like is pretty literal. And that is that if we don't have hope, it literally can make our heart sick. And I, I think the Spirit of God was really using the right word here when he said heart. Because the heart, it can mean your physical being, 
your heart, you know, we have we know more people die of heart disease than any other disease in our country. So he says that it can, it can make you physically sick. When you live in prolonged hopelessness, it can actually make, if you have chronic illness, it can make your symptoms worse. People that have no hope, they, they have more aches and pains. They have more sickness. It's true. And so he says it makes your heart literally sick. It, your heart not only is the physical heart, how about your emotional heart? And I can tell you this, if you struggle with depression or mental illness or any kind of emotional things, that when you go through something that's a prolonged hardship, it's going to make your symptoms worse. And I've seen that in our church, that there's a lot of people that struggle emotionally and they're having a really hard time during this time. And the last one, you know, when hope's deferred, it can make your spiritual heart sick. It can cause us to doubt God's goodness. It can cause us to doubt our faith in God. It can cause us to doubt all kinds of things. And it can make your heart sick. Hope is an essential part of being a human being. We must live with that anticipation of something positive in the future. I know that there's been a big increase of alcohol use and drug abuse in this, in this season. Why? Because people find themselves feeling hopeless and unhappy and depressed. And they turn to temporary uh, means to lift that despair off themselves. And they'll turn to alcohol and they'll turn to drugs. It's just the way human beings do. A mind that's hopeless over a long period of time is just becomes very, very destructive. We must have a glimmer of hope to bring life. And that's what he says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled. What is that longing? It's when you look out at the landscape of your life and you don't see anything positive. You, you have a longing to see something that gives you hope. And God says when we can see that that gives us hope, it is like a tree of life that suddenly we, we come alive. It just, it's, it's so funny how we can go from hopeless to hopeful with just a little bit of knowledge, something revealed to us. One of the best examples of that is out of Genesis chapter 21. It's the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And I'm sure you know the story. Uh, most people do. It's a very famous story. Abraham was 86 years old. God had promised him a child. Abraham, his name literally means father of many nations. He didn't have one child. He and Sarah, they had no children. And Abraham was 86 years old. And, and they had been living in the land for 10 years. They had been living for in, 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 anticipa in anticip anticipation of having a child for 10 years. And it just didn't happen. They were a little bit hopeless. And so they did something they shouldn't have done. Sarah, being hopeless, gave Abraham her maid, who's named Hagar, and said, here, Abraham, I can't have children, but she can. And I'll, if she has a child, it will be like my child. And so Abraham, he slept with Hagar. She got pregnant. And she had a little boy, and his name was Ishmael. And right after that happened, Sarah regretted what she had done. So time goes on, and about 14 years later, Sarah conceives. She conceives and she bears a son. His name is Isaac. He's the child of promise. Ishmael, he was not the child of promise, but Isaac was. And so there was tension in the home. And so when Isaac was growing up and he, he was weaned, uh, Abraham threw a party. And we picked this story up. 
in Genesis chapter 21. And this is what it said. That the Lord had kept his word and he did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened just at the time God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him. And Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. When Isaac grew up and he was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast and celebration for the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and she demanded, get rid of this slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. And so Abraham did did the hardest thing probably he ever did in his life. It says here that he was very discouraged because he loved Ishmael's son. I mean, Ishmael by that time was probably 14 to 16 years old, whatever. And um, it was tough for Abraham to send him out. But we pick it up in verse 14. It says, Abraham got up early the next morning. And he prepared food in a container of water, and he strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. He sent her away with her son. And she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. Wow. You talk about hopeless. Here was Hagar, who had never been anything but a maid to Sarah her whole life. She didn't have a profession. She, she was sent out of the house, and it said she wandered around aimlessly. Well, what else would she do? She couldn't get a job. She, there was no jobs for a woman like that to go and, and just get. She felt totally hopeless. She had always lived under Abraham's roof, and Abraham provided everything she needed. And suddenly now her and her son were just cast out. It was horrible. It was a hopeless. It was a, it was a tremendously hopeless situation. And then it goes on and says, and the water ran out, and when it was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, and then she went down and set herself about 100 yards away, about a football field length away, and she said, I don't want to watch my son die, and she burst into tears. She felt so hopeless. Here was, here was Ishmael. He's probably 16 by this time. Or, you know, and he's a teenage boy, and he's sitting under the tree, and he's just crying his eyes out, and it broke her heart. So she goes way 100 yards away, and she says, I can't bear it. And she's weeping and crying her eyes out. It was so hopeless. It was so terrible. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying, as he lies there, go to him and comfort him, for he will make a great nation from his descendants. Now, verse 19 is where I wanted to get. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water, and she quickly filled the water container and gave the boy a drink. Hopelessness to hopefulness. That's what happened with Hagar. The pain of rejection, the pain of being cast out, the, the situation that she was thrust into, all made her hopeless. It was unimaginable. But God opened her eyes. Now, I want to draw a couple of points from this. The first point I want to make is that that well of water that she saw, God opened her eyes and she saw that well of water. Do you realize that that well of water was sitting there the whole time that she couldn't see it because she was crying her eyes out? Many times when we get hopeless, 
We get so focused on what's wrong. We get so focused on the bad situation. And we can actually become blinded to God's provision of hope that's right in front of us. It was God opening her eyes. And it's so funny to me. She was so utterly hopeless in one verse. In the next verse, she has hope. And they go on and live. And they go on. And, and Ishmael does become a father of many, of many people. But her hopelessness was turned to hope simply because she saw what God wanted her to see. She opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. And many times that's all we need to get hope rekindled in our life. We just need to see God's provision. We need a revelation of what is really the facts in front of us. God opens her eyes, just like many of us need our eyes opened today. So what do we do about it? Well, we repent. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned word that I don't use a ton, but it's a very powerful word that needs to be used a lot. And repentance, you know, we've always tied it to sin. We've always said, well, repentance is about sin, turning around from your sin and going the other way. It really isn't, doesn't mean anything about sin at all. In the definition of, of repentance in the ancient language, it's, it has nothing to do with sin. What it has to do with is changing your mind, changing the way you think changing your thoughts. And I'll say this, the reason we need repentance is because God is much more concerned about changing the way we think than he is about changing our behavior or changing our circumstance. We get all hung up on, you know, wanting to change a certain behavior. We, you know, we look at the circumstance like what Hagar was in, and she just wanted the circumstance change. The deal was God wanted her to dry her eyes and look around so she could see the well of water, the provision that was there. And that was a matter of her changing the way she think. You know, instead of thinking about things being so bad, she needed to change her thoughts to seeing God's provision. And it changed her circumstance and certainly changed their behavior. You repent because God really wants us to change the way we think because he knows if we change the way we think, it will change our behavior and it will greatly change our circumstances. Now, here's the negative side of that. We have an enemy, and the devil knows also that our thinking can create our behavior and also can change our circumstance to the negative. The devil spends a lot of time trying to drag people into a place where they feel hopeless because he knows if he can keep their thinking in a hopeless state, he can actually bring destruction into our lives. He can bring sickness into our lives. He can bring poverty into our lives. He can bring a lot of things to us because if our thinking is hopeless, we're susceptible to believing a lie. The enemy, the devil, is the father of lies. It says it in Scripture in John 8. He's the father of lies. And so everything he does is a lie. If he brings us into hopelessness and we begin to believe it's so hopeless and we'll never get out, if he brings us into hopelessness and we believe that lie that we can't get out, then what happens is when we believe a lie that the devil's telling us, what it does is it builds a stronghold in our mind. It builds a stronghold inside of us. And strongholds are very difficult to get past. Let me tell you a stronghold that I've noticed a lot in the church. I've noticed a lot in a lot of people. They've believed a lie from the devil. And here is the lie that they've believed. They've believed things will never change. Things will never change. When you believe that lie, that your situation, if it's a bad situation, it's never going to change. And when you believe that lie, you will get into hopelessness and you will 
find more problems than you started with. People say, well, how do you know it's a lie? How do you know my situation will ever change? Because here's, here's the fact. Everything changes. All situations change. Even good times don't last forever. Situations change. Everything changes. So nothing is going to last. Everything is going to change. People say, well, I have chronic illness. I have long-term, lifelong problems that are never going to go away. Well, I just want to say this. You're not taking them into heaven. And I don't care if you're here for 90 years on the earth and you have to suffer through some sort of debilitating thing for 90 years. I realize that's bad, and I realize it can put you in a hopeless situation, but you should still not be hopeless because it will change because you will not take it into eternity. You won't. And that alone gives us reason to be hopeful. We are eternal people. We, will spend, we may spend 90 years down here, but we're going to spend a lot longer than that up there. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, says things that are seen don't last forever, but things that are not seen are eternal. That is why we keep our minds, our thoughts on things that cannot be seen. God's given us a charge here in his word that we are to focus on things that are eternal and not just things that are temporary. And I'm telling you, all of this stuff we're going through, all of these things that we see around us today, everything we see on the news, all these things that can be so discouraging and, and steal the hope right out of our heart, they don't last forever. God has an eternal kingdom. It's promised to each and every child that trusts Christ as their Savior, and that's what we live with, that eternal hope, that eternal hope. And we're to fix our thoughts on those things that will never change. Proverbs 4.23 says this, be careful about what you think about because your thoughts run your life. Your thoughts run your life. And I'll say this to you, if your thoughts are primarily sinful, if you live every day and you just have sinful thoughts all day, you, you probably have a sinful life. If you have greedy thoughts, if you're always thinking about how you can get more money and keep the money you have, and, you know, you just, I mean, it's all about money, obsessed with money, you, you probably are a very selfish person. Your thoughts create your life. If you're always afraid of poverty and you're always afraid of being broke and you're always thinking about, you know, the, just the, the poverty in your life, it's going to lead you to a poverty-stricken life. And if you live with angry and bitter and unforgiving thoughts, if you hold grudges, and you always are just one little statement away from blowing up, then you probably are going to end up being abusive with your words or with your actions, maybe even violent. Because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. So we must control our thoughts. And here's a fact. Some people say, well, you can't control your thoughts. They're automatic. Well, I want to tell you that that's not true. That's another one of those lies that are out there. You can control your thoughts. That's a fact. The Word tells us we can control our thoughts. And let me tell you why I know you can control your thoughts. It's because you get to choose what you feed your brain. You get to choose what you feed your mind. And if you feed your mind and your brain with things that are of God, if you feed your mind and your brain with things that are hopeful, then you're going to be a hopeful person. You're going to be an optimistic person. You're going to live with an expectation of good things coming. You're not going to live with an expectation of doom. Philippians 4.8 says this. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on that that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful, respectable, pure and holy, merciful and kind. 
and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. I love this scripture. He says to fix our thoughts. He says it's a choice that we do have a choice about what we think about. Look at these, look at these phrases. Keep your thoughts continually fixed and fasten your thoughts on. Those two phrases imply that we have the ability to control our thoughts. We have the ability inside of, our, inside of ourselves to control what we think about. God would not ask us to do something that's impossible to do. All that would do is build frustration. And he says the first thing we're to fix our thoughts on is that that's authentic and real. Authentic and real. Not to fix your thoughts on things that can't be authenticated. Not to fix your thoughts on things that are, might be true. He says to fix your thoughts on things that are authentic and real. Things that are truth. This is why believing every conspiracy theory, believing these things that come across Facebook or these things that you see and you read, the things that cannot be authenticated, you don't know if they're real, but you're believing them and they're bringing you into a very dark place, into a very hopeless place. I just want to tell you, you're not fixing your thoughts on things that are true and authentic. God wants us to fix our thoughts on what is true. Jesus said, if you know the truth, it will set you free. And he's not talking about just the truth about, you know, who's to blame for the pandemic. That's not the truth he's talking about. What he's talking about is the truth, this truth, his truth. Jesus said he is truth, and, and the Word says Jesus is the Word. This is truth, and this is what we're to fix our minds on. The, the, the Word of God should be a part of our daily life, every day. We should be in the Word, reading the Word every day feeding our mind with positive things, feeding our mind with things that can make a huge difference in our life. There, there are over 7,000 promises of God in this book. 7,000 pools of water, so to speak, like Hagar. When she saw the pool of water, she went from hopeless to hopeful. And that's what these promises are like. They're like living water that God shows us. And when we see those promises, they can actually take us from a very hopeless place to a very hopeful place. You'd be reading the Word every day, and God's Spirit may highlight a piece of a verse to you. And that one piece of a verse, if you keep it in your heart, can actually make you hopeful rather than hopeless. We're to feed ourselves with the truth. Because if we feed our mind, our brain, with the truth of God's Word, our thoughts will change. Because we really are what we eat. And these promises, they bring us into faith. They bring us into hope. They get our attention off of the things that are temporal in this world. We, we don't go around focusing on the politics around us or the violence or the COVID numbers or all that stuff. We don't do that because it takes us into a dark, hopeless place. We fix our eyes on the eternal truth of God. I want to draw your attention to what this verse says in the, at the end, these verses. And it's this, this last part. To fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Now, the first thing we do is we, we, we get into the word of God and we let one of these 7,000 promises refresh our soul, give us hope. And the second thing we can do to remain hopeful is that we can count our blessings on a regular basis and give praise to God always because there's not one person that's hearing my voice that doesn't have a list of things to be thankful about to God. Get into a quiet place. Do it regularly. Maybe you don't do it every day, but do it at least two or three times a week. 
sit down quietly by yourself and just begin to just thank God. Simply thank God for everything that comes to your mind that's something you're really thankful for. And then give him praise because every good and perfect gift that's in our life is from him. It's from his hand. Well, we're going to begin to wind this up. And I want to go down a couple, of, a couple more scriptures with you before we end. But the one thing I want to tell you is I don't care where you're at or how hopeless you feel. God hasn't abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. And I take you back to that story about Hagar because she, she really did think God had abandoned her. She had no reason to believe that God would come to her rescue. She was not a Jew. She was an Egyptian. She didn't even probably claim God, Jehovah, as her own God. But you know, there's a name for God in the Bible that's called, one of, his, one of God's names in the Bible is called the God who sees me. Do you know who named God? The God who sees me? Hagar. Hagar. Because she was so helpless, hopeless. She was in such a terrible place, and she felt like she was a million miles away from God. And God spoke to her. And God said he sees her. And she named him the God who sees me. And I just want to tell you, no matter where you're at, that God sees you. He knows your situation, even if it seems very, very unhopeful. I just want to say there's hope because God gives you hope. He sees you. You, you, you. We should begin to pray that God would open our eyes to see his provision that could give us hope, to open our eyes to see that pool of water that could give us hope. There's a verse back in Hosea, Old Testament book, verse chapter 2, verse 15. And when Hosea wrote this verse, he's a, he was a prophet, an old prophet. Israel had been taken captive by Assyria, and that, they didn't even have a nation at that time because Israel had been so sinful, so idolatrous, and they had broken God's law so many times that God allowed Assyria to come in and just take the whole nation captive. And it was a bleak time, a hopeless time. People that were Jews and other nations, they thought, we'll never have a, uh, our country back. We'll never have, be a nation again. But God, in his compassion, he could see each one scattered all over the world. And he decided he was going to bring them back into their own land. And Hosea prophesied this, and he's, this, he's prophesying what God is saying. And God said this about Israel. He said, I'm going to return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a door of hope. I, I love this. I love this for several reasons. God looked out and he saw the hopelessness and all the, all the sadness that was on his people that had been scattered everywhere. And his plan was to bring them back into their own nation. And he said, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you your vineyards. Vineyards. Why vineyards? Because vineyards produce wine. And in Scripture, wine always relates to joy. What God is saying here is, I'm going to restore your joy. And I'm going to transform the valley of trouble, this very place where you've had so much trouble, I'm going to transform it. And whenever you see this, you're going to know it's a door of hope. Just like when Hagar saw that pool of water, she finally was able to see God's, God's provision. That's what he's saying here. He's saying no matter how hopeless things are, when you look at it, God can show you something and it can become a door of hope for you. Many of you just need a door of hope. You just need to let God open your eyes and you get, your, get your, the tears out of your eyes. Get the, 
problems that you see around you out of your eyes and begin to focus on God, on his promises, on his provision, and let him give you a door of hope, a gateway of hope. He's promised to do it. One final scripture, and it's this one. And this is a scripture that a lot of people relate to sin as well. And I think it could relate to temptation to sin, but I really think at this situation, it relates to hopelessness. That many times we're tempted to be depressed or uh, to feel a certain way, and God wants to address that to each and every one of us. So just listen to the, listen to the beautiful promise that come out of, comes out of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says that no temptation has overtaken us, but what is common to man. Now stop right there. He's saying that our temptation to be hopeless, our temptation to be in despair, or to be, you know, feel like we're depressed, that's common to everybody. There's no supermen, superwomen in the world that never feel this temptation. And God said that's common among all people. But look at what he promises. It's common to all men. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, you may feel like you're in a situation that's more than you can bear, but I'll tell you this, if you're in it, God knows you can get through it and out of it. That's the beautiful thing about God. There's always hope. I'm sure Hagar felt like she was in a situation that was more than she could bear. I know she did. You know, her son was crying over here, and she went away over here and was crying and didn't want to see him die. I know she thought, I can't bear this, God. But she did. And God showed her the water, and God showed her restoration, and she was restored. And that's what can happen with each one of us. We're never in a situation that's too far gone. We're never in a situation that's purely hopeless. With God, there's always hope. He said, but when you're tempted, God will also provide a way out that we will be able to bear it. When you are tempted, God will provide a way out that you can bear it. He says just exactly what he said to Hagar. Hagar, why are you so downcast? There is a way out. I'm going to provide that for you. And he did. And he does. Because right in the middle of those, that verse, God is faithful. He always provides a door of hope. Our temptation to be depressed or negative or hopeless, our temptation to think that things will never change, there's a way out of those feelings. And God is the one that provides a way out. He gives us revelation knowledge, whether it's through his word or through something in this that we see physically. We can actually have hope because God gives us hope. Well, as we minister today and this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for, of course, those of you that feel hopeless. I just want to pray that God would open your eyes, your spiritual eyes, and let you see some revelation knowledge that would give you hope. I also want to pray for you if you're physically sick. I feel that God really wants me to pray that these dry bones can live. There's many of you that, that, that have had this situation in your life. You've been dealing with this, this um, sickness or illness or disease or something for a long time. And I just want to say these dry bones can live. Your, your bones can be rejuvenated. Your body can be rejuvenated. God can heal you right where you sit. And he wants to do that today. So I'm just going to pray. And I ask that you would put yourself in a, in a posture of receiving from God what he has for you. So God, I just pray right now for this church, for everyone that's hearing my voice. 
I pray, Father, that if they're in a hopeless situation, if they, if they feel like they can't get out, they're too far gone, I pray right now, God, that you would speak to their heart. Speak to them, God. And open their eyes to see the provision that you've already put in front of them. And God, I pray also for those that are physically sick. I know that some of them feel hopeless. And I just want to speak to their body and tell it to live, to be regenerated, renewed. Father, you many times through your son touched sick person after sick person after sick person. Lepers that had no help. They had no hope. That was incurable. But you touched them. And you turned their hopelessness into hope in just a moment. I pray that, Father, right now, that you would just pour out your spirit and bring healing, God, healing to those that are hearing this message. And I pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We love you, and we'll see you soon.